Welcome, everybody, to Unscripted Equity Curiosity, episode 22. This is the final episode of season one of Unscripted, and we are so pleased to have been able to produce 22 episodes this year of great content, always exciting, uh, always unanticipated by us because we come in with an open mind and an open playbook. We throw questions at each other and we run with it from there. Uh, today, I'll actually be uh, interviewing, instead of me asking questions of uh, Friedman or Friedman asking of me or Felix, um, I've got Yosef, this is a special edition, final edition of the season, I've got Yosef and Nick on with us, and um, they uh, have had an incredible year in terms of uh, technology equity creation, in terms of uh, picks, in terms of uh, research and then analysis and data and data science. Um, and so I have a lot of questions for them kind of to see what comes from the cutting room floor. And, um, so I'll throw it at you guys, uh, to start, um, I guess maybe Nick, maybe to start with you, like given that this was your, your first full year on the team, um, maybe if you take a step back, kind of locate yourself across the year, different months or quarters, or if there, was there any, any signature event that stands out? From across the year, any kind of like big memory that water either inflection moments, watershed moments, or difficult moments, or happy moments, or anything that stands out from across the last year that kind of like you know shapes your view of 2021 or gives some color to your year, you know, 2021, or or just a series of small things also. And like like when you think about the year, when you look back, like what are the big what are the memories that come to mind? Yeah, definitely. And I guess to give a little bit of context before joining, um you and the tech team here as an analyst, I started Hedgeye in 2019 on the sales team. So I kind—I thought I kind of had an understanding of what it was going to be and what you guys did on a day-to-day basis being in research and things like that. And I guess a little bit more background, my history before Hedgeye was kind of working more in uh, like medical research and things like that. So um, I wanted to get into finance because I needed something a little bit more fast paced and there was just so much red tape in the healthcare industry. And so started in sales and then I, you know, just, you know, seeing you guys, you know, we're in the same office, seeing you guys every day. I kind of, I had, I had, I thought I knew what you guys were doing every day. And then coming in, I thought it was going to be more regimen where, okay, you know, get a task list and, you know, kind of figure out, okay, you need all these steps in order to get long or short. Right. And I, you know, I got here and I, realized wow in the technology space unlike any every other space it's, it's every company so much different one it's not a one model fi- fits all type of approach for each company it's like okay you really got to figure out what's driving each each individual company and what the growth factors are within this industry so i think that was the biggest adjustment for me is that okay it's there's so much unknown and there there's no roadmap for each company right so it's like every time you look at a new company you have to look at it in a new view and figure out what's going to be driving that i think for me that was the biggest adjustment coming to this side of the business was all right you you kind of got to roll up your sleeves and you don't really know where you're going to attack first but you just got to kind of keep digging and keep going deeper and keep going digger and you might spend a couple days digging deep into something that really doesn't matter for a company and then you gotta you know go in another direction figure and you know kind of figure it out that way so i think for me that was the biggest when i look back at 2021 and how i thought it was gonna what i thought the job entailed and what it actually was it was like there really 
it's much more gray space than black and white i'd say well that's brilliant um uh i i i think we all want to have um our little you know formula uh that we want to run equities through and and i think there's obviously a huge industry in the quant side that sort of like looks at things that way um I think the human mind tends to look at complexity and tries to simplify um, and looks for cheats because, you know, we're always looking for some kind of like automation or efficiency with our own brain capacities. Um, but yeah, I mean, your, your observation is correct. Like we, we, because tech is not only cyclical, there are cyclical elements, but because tech is not only cyclical, and there's sort of like a secular penetration curve or market adoption or market creation curve, or there is gray space. And how, what are the factors that are creating market? How much market has been absorbed and created? And uh, you're right, uh, we really do have to drill down on each company specifics, like what are the key driving uh, growth factors? I, I often, over the last 20 years of doing this kind of stuff, I've my thought is that, you know, the typical, um, our customers are really good at like traditional equity research and, and some of our competitors too in the sell side. Um, and then there's, of course, like the gardeners who are really good at like product analysis. And we, we tend to sit right in between those two things, I think, is where we do a lot of valuable work of product analysis, market analysis, adoption, pace of adoption analysis, competitive analysis, all of those things give us a better understanding of like, what is the growth rate of this company now and in the future? But yeah, like you said, Nick, we're, we're a lot of times we're kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall. We're shoot, we're blind men in the dark. We're stumbling around and we're kind of feeling our way through it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think it also has to do with the space that we're in. I think if you look at other industries, it's not so much the case because if you just look at technology, think about all the innovation that happens on a day and day basis. Like what, what what's relevant now is going to be out of date in three three years. You know what I mean? So I think I think you know when I guess that was my assumption was that all the industries were were similar in that that aspect. But like comparing a junior analyst on the technology team compared to like what like a retail junior analyst does or, or so on and so forth. Like the jobs are very different and the, the, the mindset has to be different just because of how the industry works for each different sector. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Um, Yosef, I, I, I want to throw a question at you. It's a little bit of a twist. I, if you want to comment on, you know, top memories of 2021 or top inflections or, or any kind of, you know, way you're thinking about 2021 and now that it's in the rearview mirror. Um, but really what I'm curious about is as we are tiptoeing forward into 2022, um, I want to think about, like, I, I, I'd love to hear from you, like how you're thinking about what are the key items in your thought process that are going to shape 2022 either and you could take that in any direction you want, like in terms of our focus, in terms of overall technology markets, in terms of software, in terms of cyclicality or secularity or whatever, IPOs, not IPOs, whatever, however, however you're kind of like, as you scratch at that imagination, like what, what's there? 
Yeah, thanks, Ami. Um, it's a, first of all, it's a privilege and an honor to be on this podcast. I really enjoy it as a consumer of the of the work and the conversations that you have with Andrew and Felix, um, a bunch of the seasoned vets on the Agile team. So it's awesome to hear you guys, and it's a pleasure to be on the podcast with you and Nick as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think um, you know, there's a lot of thoughts about what happens in 2022. I think. And, and just to maybe opine first on the same question you asked Nick, because I think it's a good one. Um, you know, I think we had a, a really good 2020 on a stock pick basis. And then, you know, 2021, I would say, you know, we had our wins and we had our losses. It was a little bit more challenging. But I think, um, you know, it really was a good reminder to always sort of start from scratch, even on names where, you know, we have, we've done a ton of work, right? It, it, it's just as important to start from scratch every time we think about them, every time we rethink about them. I just think, you know, the, 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 the biggest mistakes that we make is, you know, when we sort of fall in love with something or we just like, you know, we stick to our original thesis no matter what. I just think it's always important to, you know, like assume that, you know, if, if we were starting from day one on this name, like how would we approach it? What's the most important thing about it today and, and tomorrow? I think that's that's really like one of my thought processes about some of our names this year, because, you know, stories don't just change, but the way people value those stories and think about those stories and and like which parts of them are relatively more important, you know, which parts are relatively less important. I think that's that's really been to me a really important part about rethinking some of the some of our names and some of what we like and some of what's working and, and some of what maybe used to get people paid, not getting people paid um, anymore. So I think that's probably what I think about this past year, 2021. I think about 2022, I'm really, really curious about the IPOs. I mean, I think, you know, really since I joined four and a half years ago, um, we've just gotten so many different IPOs. And this all started with, you know, if I think about like the, the very, one of the very first ones that we did was ADT, the home security company. And, you know, one of the most recent ones we did was with HashiCorp. And just if I think about everything that filled the road in between, I mean, what a variety of companies. Like, you know, we, we did Slack and we did, um, you know, Cloudflare and, you know, UiPath. And I just, I think about um, the sort of techiness that, that the, the, the spectrum of techiness as it relates to that curve, you know, and like where the newer companies are falling out on that curve. And I'm just... I'm really curious about that because, you know, like, for example, if we think about UiPath this summer, right, and, you know, it came, it came public and it was really like, I, I don't remember seeing some, something with so much fanfare, like something that was really being talked about as the most revolutionary thing in the world because of sort of this top-down view of what automation can do in the lives of, of everyday workers. I mean, it's so easy to think about even everybody on a micro level basis, like what parts of their day can be automated away with a software tool like that. And I just think about that and the sort of level of underlying tech for something like that versus something like, a, you know, a snowflake, which is world's mo more complicated. And maybe it's really something like a snowflake is something we just don't even, we don't really even understand like what it can really enable and unlock. Whereas, something like a UI path, you know, maybe we all kind of do understand what it can enable and, and unlock. And I think, you know, that, that might be playing out sort of in how these equities are being received and how they're, they're performing. Um, so I'm really curious to see in 2022, like where the IPOs are going to take us. I mean, we already have like some 
you know, companies that are massive valuations, right? We have like Canva and we have um, Databricks that we expect will come public. Um, you know, there's, there's probably a bunch more. Quavio is another one sort of in that category. So I wonder if these things are going to become, you know, I guess sort of the question is how, how are they going to be differentiated from what came before? Um, and with so much already, what used to be, I guess, public capital now already participating in the private round, it almost makes you wonder like how much of the duration, how much of the view of the future is already being baked in before these companies ever, ever come to the public market. So I'm really curious about that. I'm curious like what that means for the next best things coming public and, and how, how we're going to be able to unpack them and, and, and think about maybe like that's not where the innovation is going to be anymore. Like maybe the innovation is going to come from somewhere else, not, not necessarily with the IPO. So I don't know. That's, that's kind of what, what the latest thing on my mind for 2022. If, if the, that was awesome, by the way, if, if the, um, if the innovation didn't come from the new IPO, so if it wasn't like us learning about GitLab and HashiCorp and Confluent, for example, and the new iPaths and all the new, new things um, that way, or Slack or Medallia at the time, or, you know, Qualtrics, um, what, what, what do you think, where do you think that would be, where do you think we would see that pool of innovation? Like what, what, what's, what, what like might flitter across your mind with that? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I guess I'll, I'll tell you, I don't have an answer to that, but, I, but I'll tell you what comes to mind is, you know, one of the things I think that's really interesting, um, when I, for a few years ago, when I first started, um, we, I remember we did, you know, a, a short black book on a company called Calidus, um, which was later acquired by SAP. And I just remember as part of that work, um, we were looking at like, you know, um, I think it was uh, Salesforce Ventures, which is the venture capital arm of Salesforce was sort of participating in some of the competitors in that space that were doing really well. I forget the, the exact names, but, but that was at the time, I remember that was one of the few sort of big public companies that had, you know, this huge vantage point or this huge viewpoint of, of all these other things that were happening in the ecosystem. And they were participating in these, in these, you know, uh, these capital rounds. And I just thought that was interesting because that was really the only one that, that really stood out at the time. And now it's kind of everywhere, right? Like a, a bunch of the companies in our space, um, you know, I think Slack has one, I think DocuSign, I believe has one, um, you know, Databricks just launched one. Snowflake has one, like a bunch of these companies have these, um, you know, these like venture arms. And I just, I think about like, you know, like I, I just think about maybe the innovation is going to come a little bit more from within. And, and some of those companies are investing in, you know, just random, you know, external companies. But some of them, I, I it, se it seems to me, the sense I get is that a lot of that innovation is coming from, you know, just problems that come, that employees or engineers are having at these existing companies. And so they, you know, they sort of, they find something that's wrong with the world and then they go and they, they innovate it on, on it that way. And I just, you know, it, it seems to me like a sort of an interesting change where a lot of that, maybe the focus for that or the, the, um, the idea generation for that is coming maybe a little bit more internally from some of these behemoths that are being created because they're being, you know, like they're going from, from nothing to something massive so fast, right? So it's something that we've talked about a lot in terms of just these adoption curves, like Snowflake is a great example of that. Slack is a great example. We just talked about Confluent is a great example of that. Just going from nothing to something huge really fast, 
you must run into like tons and tons of problems along the way, whether it's, you know, on product basis, on an engineering basis. And it almost seems like a lot of that stuff can be turned into new products, sellable products. Um, and maybe we just haven't really seen, you know, big creation of that just yet. Maybe that's, that's one, one area where it might come from. Um, or it'll just become much more and more like decentralized is another, you know, opportunity, I think, like, um, you know, just like, again, like, I can't, I can't even think about like how many calls we have with just engineers who are working like on the ground with a lot of these tools who just have really brilliant ideas, you know, but like maybe no incentive or, or no um, uh, plans about how to scale these types of things. But like, I don't know, I just think maybe, maybe it'll just be a lot more, a lot easier for these, these ideas to come from maybe new places that we haven't really thought of. Not sure if that answers your question, but I, that's kind of what what it made me think of. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a, it's that's a great answer, especially the reference back to the Calidus work and the Salesforce ventures and and you know, kind of that visibility. Um, and it's it's interesting, like it it uh, that and and another thing you mentioned before about duration being baked in potentially reminds me that uh, um, uh, before Hedgeye, I was at one point, you know, on the buy side, et cetera. And I was at um, one of the big annual sell side technology conferences. And this was still really early uh, in, it was at the time, like, you know, equity multiples were much lower, equity markets were much lower, much more depressed in technology. Technology had not been kind of like a, a big outperformer. This was like 20, 20, so somewhere in the 2011 to 2014 zone. I can't remember which year, but it's one of those years. And um, they had kind of like the keynote, you know, lunch panel session had, uh, you know, big, lots of big names on there. And one of the big names on the panel was a big time partner, famous partner in, in venture capital, Bill Gurley, who got up there and was like, and basically was chastising the room for what was a, just at the time, a, the very beginning of a trend which was crossover funds, like funds like, you know, Fidelity investing in private companies and, and Wellington having a venture arm and Tiger and Co2 and all these companies going into the crossing over from public equity into private. And um, at the time, it sounded like sour grapes, like, you know, like you're ruining my business, you know, <laughs> you're crowding me out. Um, but it, his main point was that it's creating two large pools of capital investing at certain stages of the cap table, which meant that there it was like a, almost like a, in the sense of supply demand imbalance. And therefore valuation was being inappropriately set at those rounds, uh, which I think we, we you, know, so you, you and I have seen that also. And Nick, we saw that like the pre IPO round for, um, UiPath uh, being kind of like miss, you know, miss whatever that trajectory not being so great. And uh, uh, maybe also the one for um, maybe even the one for Squarespace, which they tried to make it not so expensive and, and you know, the stock is well below with pre-IPO round. So, uh, yeah, so maybe there's just too much of that. Um, and, and now, of course, it seems like the pre-IPO rounds are, are almost like, uh, let's get in all of our friends here for a quick, you know, that everybody gets a quick 30% improvement over the next seven months, you know, before the IPO this is our last round before the IPO. It's kind of like a, a, 
um, at least for a little while, it was like a chance for some easy basis points, so to speak. Um, uh, so I agree with you on, on all of that. And I, I think it's interesting to think about these companies, Zoom also, by the way, you know, moving more and more into venture, it, it probably just means the private realm gets even bigger and not just in each company's valuation, but more, more of them, like more companies at that level. And the question will be, is there enough innovation to create new markets or are these companies that should have just been a single product? You know, like for example, I'm thinking about Smartsheet, um, which is like a single product company. And I guess in theory, everyone in the world needs uh, some kind of project management tool of some nature, right? I mean, maybe it's a slow scale though, more like Monday and doesn't, don't, don't need something, you know, sophisticated like Smartsheet. But like, is that, do you really build out an entire go-to-market team, customer support and, 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 and um, sales and enterprise, et cetera, just for that one little product? Or is that product really just supposed to be part of like a family of things that get, are getting offered uh, across maybe communication, collaboration, and uh, storage and workforce efficiency and, and automation even on top of all of that. So, um, so as I, I think it's a great question of like how this IPO road is going to be. Um, by the way, over the last five years, you know, like you said, there's been a lot of IPOs. Um, we haven't uh, kissed all the frogs out there. Are there any, um, speaking of one of our 2021 wins, <laughs> one, one of the ones that goes in the win column, are there any, Looking backward, yes. Are there any um, names that stand out that we didn't haven't looked at, that didn't do their IPOs, or maybe we looked at the IPO but we never did the deep dive that stand out in your mind as like a, oh man, I really want to go back if I could, if I had like a month free time right now, like that I'd go back and look at and maybe do a deep dive on. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, uh, we would like to kiss all the frogs. I know, I know, I would. Um, I, I think, you know, there, there's, there's one, there's definitely one that category, and maybe it's just, you know, you, you primed me with it, so maybe that's that's what I that's what I'm thinking of. But, um, you know, that that space of, you know, the asanas and, and the Mondays and the smart sheets of the world. Um, and I think even, you know, Procore is maybe adjacent to that category. Um, you know, it touches on so many different curiosities that, that I think we all have, everyone on our team has about, um, you know, like, like why, why isn't there more forward progress on that, on that space? You know, I, I think, um, and this all started really with our Dropbox work, you know, Dropbox, which has, which seems to have perfect sort of visibility into how everybody uses their, you know, how everybody's workflows, everybody's communications, really should have some kind of perfect visibility into all those processes. Um, and even, even, even Microsoft, I think, has lagged in this space too. And that's like, the, you know, I'm talking about the project management space, the, the work management space, um, you know, I, like the, the companies that specifically to answer your question, the companies like Asana and, and Monday.com, um, and, and just other companies in that space that are, I think there, there's, there's something there that everybody knows 
needs to happen. And that's just like, you know, better structure around collaboration, around communication and all of those things. Um, and just nobody has really answered it yet. And so I think it, what it looks like to me is that everyone's betting on kind of the closest one. Um, but I, it's, it seems that in our work in the past, just because you're the closest, you know, that doesn't, that's not so sustainable, right? Because somebody might come out and launch something that's, you know, a full step ahead. And all of a sudden, you're just not that, you're not that interesting anymore. And I think it also makes us think about, you know, the seat market, right? A few years ago now, we did this analysis of how many sellable seats there are, right? Not just how many information workers there are, um, which, you know, commonly like it just gets thrown out there that, oh, there's a billion, there's a billion plus information workers. Those are all sellable seats. I just think like, aside from maybe Microsoft, nobody really has even like shown that that's, that we should, anybody should really rely on that number. Um, uh, you know, everyone just throws it out and says, oh yeah, this will be an opportunity that lasts forever. But I don't think anybody has really executed against even a fraction of that number. Um, and so I just think that like, there's, there's something there where we know that there's a problem that hasn't been solved yet. Um, and I, I would be really curious to, to, to think about like, what's, not really like I, I'm pretty familiar with the products as they exist today, but like what's going on? Like what are the Skunk Works projects in those companies that are really going to solve this problem? Because it, it seems this problem of how work gets distributed and coordinated across all of our workflows, it, it seems like it's a data problem. And so I'd be curious to see like you know who is most ahead in that in solving that data problem um, because. I can almost see how that might even relate to other use cases outside of just general, you know, work workflow collaboration and all those things. Um, you know, how it could, how it might even, you know, think about like, if I think about, you know, all of the, the, the workflows that could be solved by a company like that, you know, what does that do to someone who's like in, who's doing RPA, right? To, to a UI path or someone, someone in that environment who's, who's like giving people these workaround ways to solve for a lot of these things that could be more organically API based solved, all of, all of those things, you know? So I think that's, that's kind of like what I think about this. There's, there's probably more, but those are, the, those are the ones that come immediately to mind. I don't know if you yeah. had it, if you had the same answer, if you had a similar answer to that question. Yeah, that's a, oh, that's a great question. Um, collaboration into automation and the kind of the mashup of those, of those two things. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I was thinking in the collaborations, it's a little bit, I was thinking about DocuSign. It's one that I, I've always had some curiosity about. I know it's a one-trick pony, but I, I often wondered to myself, like, well, so is Adobe. Like, is this is this one of those, you know what I mean? Is this like a, just a dominant category uh, company? And um, and maybe the category is very, very large, potentially. So that's kind of like something that I've, I've wondered about more recently. Um, I, I love the idea, though, of the mashup of collaboration and automation. Um, wow, that's 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 great. Um, Nick, do you is there like an IPO you saw this year that we like? I don't know. Did rolled up our sleeves on? Did, I know you. I know we throw you at these a lot of times. Where like it's 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 on the retail roadshow and and they've got the S one out and and we say, we say Nick, go like. Get the notes, do the thing, do the do the do the retail roadshow, take notes, figure it out, and then we don't end up doing the black book necessarily. So I know you've seen a lot of those this year. Is there anything that stands out that you're like, well, I got to go back and do that? I don't know if there's any single IPO that that comes to mind top of head to go back and do, or that I think we should have done. I think when I look back at, at 2021, I I 
I think an area that we might want to look at in 2022 is the security space. I feel like, you know, hacking and cybersecurity was top of mind and always in the news. And then um, there's so many players in that space right now. I'm thinking companies like Palo Alto, I'm thinking CyberArk, and um, there's so many more. And who's going to be the winner in that space? So when I think about, you know, and I know I did a, a lot of notes on those as well. When I So when I think about things to do in 2022, I think maybe rolling up the sleeves. And I think that's an area of interest. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I think in um, security space, there have been a couple of companies who have created like the massive staying power that for some reason they're able to evolve and stay with it and give give uh, customers a way to see them as a platform. And then there's others that are just sort of like, you know, here today, gone tomorrow, you know, like because they have the latest and greatest algorithm today, but the landscape shifts, especially you know, with the cloud in the background now more and more to API and, and um, microservices and Kubernetes and even shifting more and more into DevOps. Like what are the, what are the ways that the security landscape evolves that makes some of the existing players just like look like dinosaurs very quickly? Totally. And I think it'd be also very good thematic work to see, okay, can, can a company just do security? Because we also see a lot of these other companies that are, you know, that aren't in security, but now they're, you know, to add to their suite, they're putting security add-ons features in there. So almost like comparing, um, almost comparing like internal security features versus just having one security company do, do everything. Yeah, that's actually interesting. And with, if you, now that you mentioned that, it makes me think about, Another like a subspace that we have like looked at these companies several times, looked at their IPOs, the did reviews, did yeah, have we tracked data, which is the, the monitoring space that you know Dynatrace and Datadog and New Relic, um, which a space that has you know crashed headlong into the uh, SIEM space, which I always forget the uh, what the acronym is, but it's you know Splunk and Sumo are the two big players there and, and the, the integration of those two markets. And now I think as we saw from our DevOps work, more and more of the monitoring capability is going to be built in at the front end, like by the developer and, and kind of like, you know, Hashi has that in there and, and, and GitLab has that. And um, I know right now it's more working with that industry, but I wonder over time if there's, uh, if even, if even that industry now is like at risk because of this approach. So um maybe secure it's the right place to start with security there because Splunk essentially like the biggest part of the business is security uh for example I think is a, is one of those things that um geez this this guys did 25 minutes went a little too fast uh I had one more really big one I wanted to throw at you guys before before we wrap so I hope, I hope it's okay if we go a little bit long um so so I, I'm old uh I, I know I'm old and, and uh and because I'm old, there's some advantages like, you know, I've just had more bats than you guys. And like, I've seen more business models and more of what works and what doesn't work. It doesn't mean I get everything right, but it just means like, you know, I, I have a, a greater history, a longer history to pull on. And when you, when I think about our sector, like broadly, um, like, you know, software, enterprise technology, um, you know, maybe not semis yet because we haven't like put out a lot there lately. Um, but just thinking about our sector, I can I can articulate a bear case, and you guys you guys have heard it a billion times. 
because I've lived through all that stuff. I mean, I've lived through periods where nobody cared about API integrations. Nobody was calling us to talk about DevOps. You know, there were periods in life where like, you know, man, that stuff didn't matter. And it was just, you know, the hype was much lower. Um, you've heard me articulate all that grizzly old boomer stuff. But I guess my question for both of you, for each of you, is, um, Yosef, and maybe I'll throw this to you first, is actually, no, let's start with Nick first and then Yosef. Yosef, you'll wrap us up today. Um, is like when you think about our space and you can take whatever duration you want, three months, six years, 20 years, whatever it is, um, how would you articulate the bull case on our sector? Um, what, 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 what strikes you as like really constructive um, when you just kind of like step back and think about this area? Um, it's a great question. And I guess, you know, we, we had a, I guess when I think of Yosef's comments about all the IPOs we've had in the last four years, and I, I, I pair that with a great conversation. We had a client a couple of weeks ago about, okay, company had a great first act. Now they have to innovate for a, a second act. I find like all these companies are going to come, all these IPO companies that have come in the last three years are all going to be looking for that, that next that next adoption, then the next product that get, it gets more and more customers. So when I think of that, I think what they're all going to be almost f fighting each other for just incredible innovation. So I think, I, I think the bull case has to be that they continue to innovate in such an easy way for the consumer that it, it, it becomes that the, the skill base needed for the consumer in the technology space just isn't, is isn't at the level it is today i think the bull case is that you know developers really you know it really tr transitions from developers to citizen developers to it just being easy to use for everyday users um when i think about a lot of the products out there i guess that, that would be my, my my take on where the products would be going yeah so like basically like even as the functionality continues to accelerate and get created faster and faster the user interface goes from you know sophisticated to to a little bit less sophisticated to less abstruse less abstruse and finally like you know you can say something to siri or something like that like you know bring up a bring up a container and start an application for me or whatever you don't even say those words you could say yeah as, exactly you know, the, the amount of the amount of possible function. seats out there the most yeah. the possible amount of seats out there for very complex um functionalities is i think is going to expand yeah, and that I think that's the way be so bullish for the cloud because if you think about even AWS, uh, the biggest one at $52 billion of scale, growing 39% year over year last quarter, um, like that is a drop in the bucket if like everyone suddenly has the ability to have access to the most sophisticated enterprise software technology without needing to understand even like even what that what's what's in there like with the guts would will just literally like speak into a phone and, or do a computer be like computer bring this functionality up for me or i'd like to i'd like to see what this does or something like that uh that's pretty interesting uh nick that would be uh that would argue that would make the case that there are the scale on like aws 52 billion is it's not an order of magnitude that it's going to grow. It might be two orders of magnitude that it's going to grow over time, which just would be a crazy freaking thought. And I love that thought. Um, and, and it just, uh, even tiny tidbit on that is even just in the smallest little bit, 
like Snowflake has made their whole world much easier, et cetera, but you still need to know SQL in order to access Snowflake and run queries and, and all that kind of stuff and, uh, and access that database in, in, in that cloud data warehouse. Um, which they, which the developers and engineers who created Snowflake thought, well, that's that's good enough because that's like basically anyone who's in the data warehousing world or data analytics world is going to know SQL. It's a basic language, and we can all access it together. But now there's Snowflake invested uh, last week, I think it was in the in a company um, that actually may, makes it so that you don't even need to know SQL uh, and you can run Snowflake. And now you and I think we you you actually sent me that headline, and that was an interesting one. So I think. It's, it's going in that direction. It's a really, really interesting uh, bull case. Um, Yosef, uh, can you back clean up and take us home? Like, what do you, when you think about, again, any duration you're thinking about, like, what is the bull case on the space that we look at, even from here where there's like super high valuations and you've heard me be all grizzled and be like, ah, everybody cares about APIs and this is going to go down and hype cycle and all that kind of stuff. And in me, me having lived through multiple contractions, you guys have the blessing. <laughs> you haven't had to live through that as an investor. Um, so I just want to hear like the bull case, like as you think about it today. Yeah, um, I think, you know, it, it piggybacks off of what what Nick said, um, you know, thinking about, so, so the, the first thing I, I guess that I thought about when you said that is, you know how um, whenever we, we hear companies uh, pitch about, you know, like they'll, they'll say, oh, we're doing this, you know, this big acquisition, like, um, you know, Zendesk and, and SurveyMonkey or Momentum. And they'll say something like, we hear this all the time. It's like uh, one, one plus one equals three, right? That's, that's like the common uh, trope that sort of exists whenever a company does acquisitions. I think in reality, sometimes it's like one plus one equals a half and they only find that out after some time. But, but, in, but what they say is one plus one equals three. And I guess, you know, I know that they mean one plus one equals three, as in the end result will be better than the sum of the, the two, you know, parts that make up that that thing. Um, but I think the reality is like one plus one equals three problems. That's how like I think about it. Like when the more tools that that companies add into their into their toolkit, the more you know things that are that are adopted to make life easier the more like compounding number of, of new challenges that that creates. I just think like that's, that's the reason why you can get a company come out, you know, with only like four years of operating um, history that, you know, solves a really important problem that all of us are dealing with, right? So I think like that to me is the bull case that, you know, it's just, the, the better they make it, the better we all see it with these companies for a year and two years. And then like in year three, it's like, oh, wow, we now have 10 new problems that we didn't have before. And nobody is, nobody else, no other industry, it seems like is fast enough to, um, to solve some of those problems that get created. And so I think, you know, everyone always talks about every tech company having to be a, a tech, or every, every company rather having to be a tech company. Um, and I just think that like in order to differentiate versus its competitors, and I just think that, you know, all of those items, all of those themes are, it's, it's almost like a, I think about like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like you, you know, you, you create those problems, you fix those problems, but then you just, you've already created 10 more problems that you have to go and fix. And I think that's the opportunity. And I think, I just think tech people to engineers, you know, not, not like us, but like real engineers who are on the ground solving these problems are, they, they sort of think like that. They, they see those problems and they see, okay, how can I solve this next set of, of problems? Because that seems like that's what product iteration with engineering is. It's just seeing the problem, 
solving the problem, seeing the next problem, solving that problem, um, and then you know finding one that's applicable to a broader base of users. To me, that's that's the bull case. It's just like problems being created, problems being solved. I think that's hopefully will continue to be the bull case. That is awesome, uh, and and probably worth almost like a deep dive from us on a thematic basis for what Nick said and what you said. They're two very different uh, drivers, and they're very bullish in and of their own rights. Um, wow, massive and game changing, uh, you guys. Uh, thank you very much for letting me bother you today and take you out of your work schedule to interview you for Unscripted. Um, thank you everybody on the line for listening. Thank you for participating in our podcast in 2021 and we'll see you next season in 2022. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the Terms of Service at Hedgeye.com slash Terms of Service.